Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Sermons podcast. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.crossroadstw.org. Good morning, everybody. Thank you, Rocky and the team, as they make their way back. I'm going to tell you what. They were going in this morning. Amen. That is who you are. That is who you are. Man, God is good, and he always will be good, and he never ceases to be good. And so, man, I know there's a lot, um, <clears throat> a lot of things that we journey through in life that just doesn't make a lick of sense, okay? There's, uh, whether it's loss, okay, whether it's um, bad diagnosis, if you will, from the doctor, whether if it's 2020, this whole series is entitled Hope Again. Now, we just came off another series just a little while ago, just leaning in, dealing with the blueprint of the family and what the dynamics look like within uh, the, the physical family, but also there's some, also some connective tissue to God's kingdom and what the spiritual family, how it ought to function and, and operate. Now, I will say this, that this series here, as Rocky mentioned a little while ago, we're going to hit on three key, three key topics that I truly believe that has paralyzed or even that has knocked at the door, if you will, of some of us in a room, and many of us, we know others that have, it's really um, taken effect in their lives, but the three topics is this. You ready? This morning, we're going to deal with anxiety and worry. Now, by the way, they're cousins. They roll, they roll together. Uh, somebody said, I thought they were sisters. Amen. <laughs> Regardless, they're kinfolk. Amen, right? Anxiety and worry. Then week two, next week, we're going to deal with depression. Depression. Like it's a, a place in Elijah. Many, there's different scholars that believe different things. Some believe it doesn't really exist. Or, I mean, there's all these other dynamics. We're going to deal with some of the key, um, uh, if you will, the connective pieces with that. But also, we want to look at it from a biblical perspective. What does the Word of God say about Depression. Elijah said, so much so, Lord, take my life. He was in a bad place. And then the last Sunday will be discouragement. Now, all of us in this room, we've all been discouraged. In some way or fashion, maybe because of the climate, maybe because of uh, relationships, people have let us down. If you've lived long enough, I don't think there's anybody in the room that's perfect. Thank you, God. The fact of the matter is, if you are breathing right now, that means that you have been let down at some point in your life. And so this morning, what we want to do is just build a biblical premise for um, dealing with these two kinfolk, if you will, anxiety and worry. Now, again, holiday seasons bring this, brings us along. Why? Because the hustle and bustle of figuring out decorations, the hustle and bustle of trying to figure out travel, the hustle and bustle of just trying to figure out this entire season. And not just that, the hustle and bustle, but it's also realizing that you're some of us in the room, I must, I want to be sensitive to this, we're walking into this season without loved ones. So there's a sense of anxiety, there's a sense of worry, there's a sense of fear. Man, what, what, will, what will I feel in this moment? And man, oh, it's funny, I was putting this together and and some of the people, some on staff were like, man, I mean, you, me flooring the gas pedal, Pastor. Well, I'm not flooring the gas pedal. I just really believe this is, this is a reality within our culture, not just our culture, but it's a reality within the church. So we want to actually look at it from a biblical perspective. We'll do three weeks, and then we'll jump into um, our Christmas series, which I'm really excited about, the gift. I'm excited about that. But again, anxiety and worry. 
It's been said that the most repeated phrase in Scripture is, do not be afraid. The most repeated phrase in all of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And some would even say from Genesis to maps. Amen. Some of y'all didn't catch that. Y'all get that later. Amen. But do not fear. And you wonder why is that the case? I mean, do not fear, do not fear. God told Gideon uh, when he was calling him to lead Israel. In Judges chapter 6, he said, hey, Gideon, do not fear. It's one, one of those things where, Lord, I, okay, I hear, I hear you, and that sounds great, but, but there's really a disposition within me that I cannot help but fear. He tells Jeremiah when he was calling him in Jeremiah chapter 1, he said, look, man, don't fear. I knew you before uh, you were born. I knew you in your mom's womb. And I also, I know you and I've appointed you to be a spokesman to the nations. He says, do not fear. I will give you what you need to say. Do not fear. He says it again. Do not fear. Do not fear. It's amazing that even, here's where it, here's where it stems from. When Adam sinned in a garden, Adam and Eve, a new word was introduced into mankind's vocabulary. You notice it would be the case in Genesis 3 when the Lord was walking in the cool of the day, desiring to fellowship and seek out Adam and Eve. He called Adam's name, Adam, 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 where are you? And the Bible says that he was hiding and Adam uttered these words. He says, I am afraid. For the first time in Scripture, we see this new vocabulary kick in after the fall. Now, this is very important as we build this case when it comes to worry and anxiety. And some would say this, this, that if God is a loving God, he's a perfect God, which we know this is the case. As I was doing biblical theology and studying with the team, we landed on this, this profound understanding as we look at Matthew 6. But here it is. It seems as if that anxiety, worry, and fear became the norm because there was a sense of absence of God's love. But we know this to be the case that God is a perfect God. He loves perfectly. So 1 John 4.18 says that perfect love drives out fear. So then how do we balance this deal? If, we're, if we don't deal with anxiety, if we don't deal with these two kinfolk, anxiety will deal with us. And I'm going to share some of my own story in just a little bit just to let you in in my life and then with this area of, of worry and anxiety. But anxiety brings tension. It brings tension. It brings the dynamic first, sub point A, it brings that I just don't understand it. Anxiety, some of us, we get crippled by it. Social anxieties, I have small group social anxieties. You may say, Marcus, I didn't know that. I do. I just went small birthday parties, they drive me nuts. Kids run around, boogers in their nose, blowing a little thing. I'm just, I freak out. I don't know what happens to me. Something. I just don't understand it. For some of us, it's just completely overtaken. We're overtaken by it. I mean, it paralyzes us to where we find ourselves maybe in a situation or in a, a space in our home or in our car. We can't move. We don't even want to get out the bed. Have you ever been there? Culturally, the definition would be the culture highlights it and celebrates it. You look at Simone Biles in the Olympics, mental health or anxiety and worry, not feeling ready. This is a very heady, heady conversation. And by the way, let me just say this. In 32 minutes, we will not answer every single question. 
So I want you to know that. So, well, pastor, you missed this, or pastor, you missed this. We want to make sure, though, hearing what Jesus said about this particular dynamic, we got to see that. Well, the culture says, or highlight it, well, okay, we'll do this, do this. Well, then clinically, there's this other dynamic. It's the feeling of fear, anxiety, this whole disorder language used. It doesn't go away. It gets worse over time. So the question this morning on the table is this. Why shouldn't you or I worry or be anxious? We got to answer that question. Why? This is not cotton candy, circus, cool Christian uh, scripture on a mug um, topic or teaching. This is at the heart of every single one of us. So in this text, we're going to see what Jesus gives. He gives us a healthy diagnosis, but then he also provides for us a proper prescription for anxiety and worry, a healthy, proper prescription. Now, I know that many of us in a room, this goes beyond just, hey, man, I've tried this Bible. People prayed for me. It's still there. I'm going to encourage you. Maybe go see your, your personal doctor. Maybe go see. That's fine. Medicine, it's okay. I mean, I just, I'm not saying be addicted to the medicine, depend upon the medicine, but God has granted medicine for a reason. It could be a grace. I'm not saying it's a crutch, but it could be a grace. As we look at this text, though, I want you to be able to see this. Why shouldn't we be anxious? I love Jesus because he tells us. 2020 knocked at all of our doors. It's amazing that you just walk around and you hear people talking or you listen to podcasts and everybody, 2020, 2020, and 2020 was hard for us, 2020, 2020, 2020. With 2020 as the backdrop, let's hear Jesus speaking to the context. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25. Sermon on the Mount, y'all know this is the longest sermon recorded by Jesus, instituting his new kingdom values. This is great. He deals with the Lord's Prayer, the front part of six. He deals with giving to the needy, the Lord's Prayer, fasting. Look at, the, look at the linkage, if you will, leading to our passage today. And then he talks about laying up treasure in heaven. Oh, then he talks about do not be anxious. Verse 25 says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds. I love this. Jesus always used things around him. I mean, he was a great teacher. He was more than a teacher. He was pointing them to a heavenly theological truth. Look at the birds in the air. I can see everybody like this, right? They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not, check this out, remember Genesis 3, are you not of more value than, than they? This is not a narcissistic teaching. This is not a, a me-centered theology. This is just how God views you and I and how he wants you and I to function when we're pressed on all sides with the 2020 vibe. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? It's like the old preachers used to say, it's like worrying. 
It's like a rocking chair. Sit in a rocking chair to keep you busy, but it won't take you nowhere. Amen. <laughs> and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. This is crazy, man, how Jesus is doing this. Yet I tell you, again, here it is, even Solomon, now he's pointing to the fact that I am sovereign. I'm, I'm really making a claim to be God in flesh. Speaking about Solomon in the Old Testament, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you, here it is, of what? Is Jesus like insensitive? Is he like not really seeing the whole picture? He gives us three examples, and I'm going to deal with those, and how he providentially speaks to every single one. But it seems as if, based on our culture, man, I know there's a lot. Matter of fact, as, as a result, man, I'm in a text thread with pastors from all over the country. And I didn't know this happened, but somebody caught wind of it that a pastor in Houston committed suicide just, I believe, yesterday or the day before yesterday. Pressure. This is real. This will cause you and I to do some very uncharacteristic things. So, I mean, Jesus, I mean, I mean, oh, you of little faith? Like, there's really something going on inside of me. And he's going to give us, again, a proper diagnosis, but also a healthy prescription. He says, well, therefore, do not be anxious again, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Punchline. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, third time, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So, Jesus tells us right off the bat, I mean, this is interesting. He says, well, why shouldn't you be anxious? Why shouldn't you and I worry? Verses 25 through 32 tells us because Jesus cares. I mean, it's not rocket science. And I understand there may be levels and different degrees of this idea of anxiety and worry in the room. Some of us has plagued us for so long, it has become a common place. It's our default. It's our lowercase g God. It's whatever. It's the filler in the blank. So now it's a natural default. When there is a void, if you will, of, of faith in Jesus, if there's a void, fear begins to come in right after that. And some of us, we really don't wrestle with this. But he says, Jesus commands the people, therefore do not be anxious about your life. It is not for, it's, it's not life more than food and the body more than, than clothing. Then he gives kind of a punchline. Well, worry and anxiety, why? Jesus, if you tell me not to do it, if you tell me not to do it, why should I not do it? There's multiple reasons, but he helps us understand something that is very unfruitful. Worrying and anxiety is very unfruitful. Jesus, he says this, Jesus knows this is the reason because he commands us, he says, do not. And which of you, verse 27, and which of you by anxious 
or anxiety thoughts or anxious thoughts can add a single hour to the span of his or, his or her life. Worry is this. It denies the wisdom of God. Think about it. It denies the, the wisdom of God. It says that he doesn't know what he's doing. It denies the love of God. Remember, the absence of love. Then fear comes in, but we know God is a God of love, and, and perfect love casts out fear. It says that he does not, he does not care. It denies the power of God. Talking about worry and anxiety, these, these kinfolk. It says that he isn't about to deliver me or he can't deliver me from whatever is causing me to worry. It just, it just, it's just unfruitful. Jesus says it doesn't, you can't even add anything to the day. Who can add anything by worrying? Who can do anything? But then it robs us of joy and perspective. You've been having a really good day. Have you ever lost your cell phone? Anybody? <laughs> right? Doesn't matter generation, by the way. I mean, just you leave the house, you have that sense in your, just in your, your gut. You go, man, I just feel like I'm, I left something. Anybody ever been there? You get going and you realize you don't have your mobile phone. Like our identity is in that thing. If I don't have my phone, I don't have a soul. If, if I don't have my phone, I don't, I don't know left from right. I don't know my wife's first name. I don't know anything. But something kicks in when what we're so dependent upon is absent. Something else, just logically think with me here. Something creeps in and the enemy wants you and I to begin to think first off as Jesus, the first thought from the text, the enemy wants you and I to think, yes, God doesn't care. Jesus doesn't care about you. So then therefore you can have the, you can have the privy or the privilege to fear and, and, and just worry. No. He's going to tell us why, because it robs joy. You could be having a great morning, and then you get halfway up 1488. 1488 can rob your joy anyway. Amen. 1488 robs my joy almost at least twice a week. Amen. But it can rob you of your joy and even your perspective. Worry. But Jesus says, not only is it unfruitful, not only can it rob you of joy and perspective, because, again, anxiety thinks too little about God. It's just saying, God, you can't do this. Even though I know you're sovereign, quote, unquote, intellectually and theologically, I say this. Pastor Rocky, we had a great conversation on this. It's like theologically, we know this to be like we trust God. Theologically, upstairs, we trust him there. We have all the fine tenets of understanding of theology, but somehow we have this practical download issue in saying, God, yes, you created every single thing. You're holding everything together, Colossians 1, 13. But even in the midst of this, yes, I've been church. I'm from the Bible Belt. have all this good spiritual stuff, but there's this download. Hit the download button. Boop. There's this download dynamic that causes you and I to have a dichotomy of fault. I'm just trying to be... I'm preaching to myself, saints. I'm literally preaching to myself. At some point, your theology must become practical. A theology that hasn't been tested, a theology that has not downloaded to actual walking it out, some great scholars would say is not a theology at all. So now you have to question yourself, how big is your God? And that's what 
That's what this anxiety and worry will do. And Jesus is trying to help these young people, the disciples, the context. He's speaking to Jews. He's trying to help them understand something that, hey, anxiety, it thinks too little about God and it minimizes how much God thinks of us. I notice, again, this is not a narcissistic teaching, but Jesus is letting us know something. If you're a part of my kingdom, you're a part of my home. If you're a part of my home, you're a part of my kingdom. And if you're a part of my home and my kingdom, you're my child. You're my son. You're my daughter. I know about you. I care about you. There is no reason for you to doubt. There is no reason for you to uh, wonder if I love you or am I connected to you. He's letting them know my kingdom is what this is look like. This is what it looks like. If I'm here, you, you got all that you need. If I'm here, I mean, this is what he's saying. This is my kingdom. I'm setting it up this way. Therefore, Jews, do not worry, even though you're going to miss me in this whole process and think that you're going to have another type of king coming, but you're still going to miss it. But in essence, for those that got it in this text, how great was that? He knows. Well, he knows. What does he know? Well, he knows everything. He says, look at the grass. Look at the birds. Look at the lilies. Look at Solomon. You see, God is holy. Uh, let's stay here for a little bit. God is holy. That's what Jesus is pointing out here. Like, like I know, I, I know. It's not in a sense of a temporal no or a, um, a limited no. God knows every single, every single thing. And he helps them by giving them an example. Well, look at the grass. Again, he gives these, these great object lessons. Look at the grass and their feet. I can see their sandals or their shoes just kind of like, oh, snap. It's like, oh, oh, yeah, 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 I see it. I see it, Jesus. Look at the grass. Look at the birds. Look at the lilies. I know. So that means if he's holy, that means he's good. Stay with me. Here's some theology here. We have to, na- we have to nail this down. If God is holy, that means that he is good. Because holiness demands honesty. If God is holy, stay with me, please. This will be the answer key. Since God is holy, that means he is good. He's eternally good. Doesn't matter what you and I face. So since he's holy and he's intrinsically holy and eternally holy, that means holiness makes um, honesty an obligation. So he's telling the disciples and telling those around him, he's saying, look, this is the truth. This is it. Well, he also, he provides. Well, I know, I see. Isn't it amazing that God, in the midst of everything that we we have going on, we're with a family from the church Friday night, and they pulled out an app, and y'all probably know this, it's kind of this universe app. You can look out and see all the stuff in the space. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Anybody? Anybody just say, say, yeah, amen. Okay, cool, cool. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I'm like, man, that's crazy. And I thought it was a prank at first. <laughs> he pulled it out, and I'm like, man, no way. He's like, yeah, here's Saturn, and uh, here's this. And I'm like, man, ain't no Saturn. Stop playing with me. That's some old fake tissues junk. But no, it was real. To see the, the expansion of all of creation. I mean, this, it was amazing to see on a small little phone. That even this great, great God that created all of this, he still knows and sees you. It's the God El Roy. It's the God who sees. He told Hagar, I see you. I see you. 
Some of you, you're wondering, and Jesus, this is why he out of the gate tells us why we shouldn't be anxious. He's saying, because I care for you. I see you. I love you with an infinite love. I love you with a, 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 an eternal love. I love you with a perfect love. And I see you. Then he says, well, I'll provide for you. Well, not only does he know, he also provides. It's just not knowing and don't do anything about it. He says, well, I see the birds, the grass, and the lilies, and I know about Solomon, but also I'll provide for you. He shows, this shows God's good nature. Literally, it shows his nature. Verse 26 through 32, he says, look at the birds of the air, and they neither sow nor reap nor gather in the barns. Think of this. Just think of birds. Look at the practicality of birds. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. His eye is on the what? Mm. Are you not of more value than they? Some of you, you've been questioning if God loves you. In this season, through 2020, even with loss, he wants you to know you can hope again. Why? Because he knows you, but not only does he know you, he desires to still come through for you. Now, he may not come through the way you want him to come through. Now, the problem is, is we have this understanding of, man, God, if you don't come through like this, then maybe you really don't care. Well, God is saying you can't put me in a box. A lot of times in the waiting room, we talked about this um, as a prayer team some weeks back. A lot of times in a waiting room of life where anxiety and worry begin to knock, in the waiting room, waiting room's always weird. Don't y'all know that? I like elevators. Isn't elevators weird? When you get on an elevator and it's like some random person get on, it's just you and them. Come on. Really? Serious? It's weird. So much so that, I mean, it's like who's going to say the first thing? Who's going to strike up the conversation? So it's like the waiting room. You in waiting rooms, you see different types of people. But in a spiritual sense, in the waiting room, Jesus is sitting right across from us, and we miss him. In the waiting rooms of life, Jesus is literally, as he provides, he may provide in different ways, but what he does, let these guys and this group of people know that, hey, you have me. And I'm going to deal with the whole seeking first in just a little bit. But he says, look, I'm going to provide for them. Again, look at this. Birds, they never sow nor reap nor lilies. They neither toil nor spin. Think about this. They have the soil, the air, the, the sun, the water. They have everything they need to make it. It's amazing that all of creation that God has created functions in their God-given role. In this regard, it trusts, or they, it, they trust the Lord. But it's amazing that the apex of his creation, mankind, as Jesus would say in this text, aren't you not more than, are you not more than they are more, more valuable than they? That we somehow, some way, we find ourselves uh, not trusting the one who is the author of life. Well, for me, in my own personal life, it's, you know, you say, this is a real thing, anxiety, anxiety. I told you about birthday parties. Y'all pray for me. Just when you think Saturday mornings or Saturdays, typically those are when birthday parties jump off, okay? Pray for me. But also, like, man, said, I didn't have much growing up. I didn't have much growing up, so we were relatively poor. Man, our family, we didn't know we were poor. My siblings and I, we didn't know we were poor. We, we had no idea. 
My mom, and they, they made sure that we, we had no idea that we were poor. We thought we were living the best of the best. And so this whole idea of me growing up with little, now as God um, has allowed me to mature and grow and, and get older, there is this dynamic in my life now. Since when I was a young little lad, I didn't have much. So now I'm more reluctant to do this with what I do have. So then there's this element, if my bank account goes beyond a certain number, or if uh, this happens, if the stock market or my 401k is messed up or whatever this thing, there's this, there's this disposition in your pastor that, that begins to go, well, I don't know, God, even though you spoke everything into existence, ah, I'm just going to hold on to this myself because I can figure it out better than you can. I'm being very honest with you this morning. God is working on me. My wife knows this to be true. She's like, yeah, you, you tell the truth. <laughs> Thank you, baby, for your validation. Amen. Your support. He says we're worrying about clothes, food, drink. You see, in the Jewish culture, that would have been equivalent to us having security, job security, or health, or even our 401K. So they would have understood this in that context. That was, those were the basic necessities that everyone longed to have. So since he says, well, you know, it doesn't do any good, it's unfruitful, it robs you and I of our joy and perspective. He gives them an example of the different things, but then he also tells them how he provides for them, specifically each one, and then he tells us the punchline. If, since Jesus cares for you and I, so why shouldn't we, because he cares for us, then how do we not worry then? How do we not live in a place of anxiety? He tells us. Jesus commands us to seek him. This is very interesting. He tells you and I to seek him. In other words, he's saying we must focus on eternal things instead of temporal things. When we begin to compare eternal with the temporal, I guarantee you fear will move in. So Jesus says in verse 33, he says, well, but seek first the kingdom of God. He talks about a little of faith, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. It's amazing because you think about it. He used the word seek, which is in the aorist tense. That means it's a continuous tense. I'm always seeking. Do you know that you're always seeking something? Every single one of us. Doesn't matter where you're a, a Gen Y, Gen Z, a millennial, a Gen X, a boomer, builder. I mean, we can go all the way through the generation. Doesn't matter. We're all seeking something. So the question is, are you spending your energy and time, me included, running when we should be seeking? He says, but first, he says, but first seek the kingdom. Seek means to run after, means to put forth some serious effort. It means his kingdom. Well, what is his kingdom? We see this in Colossians 3. Or actually Romans, it talks about this in Romans 14, but also we see this in Colossians 3. It's a place where we ought to fix or set our minds on with things of, things of heaven, if you will, eternal joy, peace, and, and his righteousness. In other words, righteousness means right standing with God. 
So having a right standing with God will, in other words, Jesus says, you seek me first, you'll get the right, you'll get the right picture. If you get the right picture, that means you'll have a right perspective on how you live your life. When you have a right perspective, that means you'll begin to filter, um, okay, do I really need this? Is this a need or a want? When you have a proper perspective, you and I will begin to say, Jesus, if I don't have anything else, you are all that I need. I mean, think of this, church. We are so blessed in America. We don't even know what it's like really to be in need. So much so that we're almost like a godless country. We can operate in and of ourselves. We can just do things by ourselves. One preacher said, we're not not Americans, we're Americans. Some of y'all didn't get that. Amen. But you think about God in the middle of it. Have you ever been in a season when all you had was the Lord? Think about the waiting room. Maybe family dynamics. Many uncertainties in life. Maybe fear of the future. More people, as, as stats and polls tells us, more pizza, people, we fear 75 plus our percent of things that never really is going to happen. We just worry. But then what about more people worry and fear the future? What's going to happen? Well, I'm here to tell you something this morning. Jesus says, but seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness I would rather trust by God's grace as we begin to grow and continue to grow in this great God that we serve. The God that said this, and it's in red, but seek first, but seek first, put forth effort, put forth effort, but seek first the kingdom of God. Don't seek first your own kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God. Why? Because if Jesus said it, he also said he's going to die and um, and tear down the temple, but then also raise and rebuild the temple on the third day, he was going to be put in a borrowed tomb. He was going to then be raised from the dead. He was going to die for your sins and my sins. This type of God who says it here early in his ministry, but then also going to underscore it by rolling the stone away. This is a God that I desire to put my trust and faith in. I mean, think about it, saints. If he can raise the dead, he can deal with you. If he raised the dead, he can deal with anxiety. If he raised the dead, he can deal with worry. If he raised the dead, and I know he can because we worship a risen Savior, he can deal with all of your fears. But what we have to do is we got to let him in. We got to let him in. I didn't expect to get that excited, but we got to let him in. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen. But seek, 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 seek him today. Well, Marcus, I tried that. Well, the reality is it's aorist tense. You keep seeking. The enemy is going to always try to fill it with something, that void. He's always going to try to fill it with something. So as a discipline, a spiritual discipline, this is not works-based. Jesus is telling us to pursue his face. We prayed this in our prayer deal this morning. He's saying, uh, somebody prayed this, Lord, help us to seek your face, not your hand. So in other words, this is what he's saying. Yes, don't worry about the hand. I am a great providential providing God, but, but also you need to just, what about just being with me? Uninterrupted time. You see, seeking Jesus doesn't offer a, a less busy life. But I will say this, it offers you and I a less busy heart. 
When we seek him, things begin to fall. They begin to fall in place. Well, God doesn't say he'll get rid of the trouble either. I think that's a misconception when it comes to seeking him. Well, I'm seeking you. I'm seeking you. Everything is still chaotic. Well, he didn't say it happens overnight. Well, if you put your faith in him, you seek him, seek him the same thing, do it tomorrow, and keep doing it again the next day, and keep doing it again the next day. What happens is you will begin to have a kingdom eternal mindset, understanding that God loves you, the same God who knows every single blade of grass, the same God who knows all the beauty and the array of each, um, of each um, um, what do you call lilies. I mean, every single thing about the birds, this same God who's so in tune with all of them is in tune with your, with your life, and that allows you to hope again. He says, but oh, little faith. Oh, little faith. Surely, if God cares enough for us to send his son to the cross, think of this, just doing basic theology here. This is when it has to download from here to here. If he cares enough for you to send his son to die as your substitute, you and I should be able to trust him in our everyday issues and anxieties and concerns. Preaching to myself. Anxiety says that God may be able to take me slash you to heaven, but he can't handle things on earth. I mean, this, is, this is the dichotomy thought. This is the, the divorce thought between theology and practice. And Jesus is saying this, no, no, no. Um, I don't want you to worry three times. Do not worry. Don't, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Why? Because I am saying it first off, and if I'm saying it, it will happen. God, you're good enough for eternity, but you're insufficient for the present. That's what really, saints, hear me say this. This is what it's saying. This is what anxiety says for you and I. So if seeking after temporal things equal less hope, that means if we, with reckless abandoning, uh, put the errors tense in our own lives to continually seek after um, the great things of, of God, the, the kingdom of God, Colossians 3, uh, to set our minds on, on things above where Jesus is seated. What, what does that mean? Well, it means if Jesus is seated there, he is the full embodiment of the fruit of the Spirit. And so he's, since he's the, fruit, the, the, the embodiment of the fruit of the Spirit, we ought to set our minds there. Then, as I, I talked about a while ago, go, we will be upside down trees with our roots in heaven now so that others can pluck from our lives. You will be an upside down tree, getting your roots in everything from him. Some of y'all are missing this. Some of you are missing it. I know you're missing it. I sense it in the room. Church, let's lock in and let's really say, Jesus, if you're all that you say you are, I want to sit and I want to rest on you. I'm going to do this, and I know I shouldn't, but I'm going to do it anyway. Here it is. Y'all ready? Jesus, if that's you, I'm going to lay on you. I'm going to rest on you. I'm going to trust in you. I don't care what happens. I don't care fear, anxiety, worry, anything. I'm trusting in you. Why? Because you can hold the weight. You can hold the weight. Now. That was scary. <laughs> I saw my life flash in front of me. As I'm giving an analogy, my, my knees are shaking. What's going on here? So anyway, he says, but seek. What are you running after? What are you running after? Why are you chasing these other things? 
but seek. It's like if I had a cup of coffee and I was holding it in my hand. I could hold that cup of coffee for, you know, two minutes would be good with, with a handle or just holding a, just a cup. I can hold it for two minutes. I can hold it for maybe 20 minutes. But two hours, things are going to get a little different. Let alone two full-on days. Two years, it's not going to happen. Stuff will begin to seize up. My hands will lose its grip, and I will drop it if it's a hot, if something hot or whatever, if it's glass. Just figure, if it's glass, then it's going to shatter and be a catastrophe. Here's what Jesus is saying. The things we worry about is in the cup. We, we, whatever it may represent for you, it, whatever it is. And he says, here's what I want you to do. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek me first. I'll deal with the cup. Seek me first. Let me deal with the cup. Instead of trying to hold on to the cup and, and for the duration of how long or, I mean, just, just if it's singleness, if it's, if it's whatever, Lord, Lord, let me, I, I, I want to handle, let me handle the cup. He said, no, give me the cup and you just keep seeking me. Hopefully I will be enough for you. And I know I can be. So here's what I want to say in prayer. Here's our prayer for tonight. Here's our prayer. I'm sweating. Good Lord. What if we pray this? Today, Jesus, today, Jesus, I'm giving you blank, period. I mean, just that's it. Thank you for your provision and care. Help me to seek you daily and to find my treasure in you. I'm going to read it again. Almost as a moment of response. Today, pray this, pray this between you and the Lord. Pray this is between a Savior that loves you. He's in tune to you. Today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Today. Jesus. Not anything else. But Jesus, I'm giving you blank. Thank you for your provision and care. Help me to seek you daily. find my treasure in you. Lord, we understand that uh, it's very easy for fear and anxiety and worry to move in. Typically that happens when we take our eyes off you. Then we begin to ask these internal questions. Do you care? Do you love us? Do you see us? Do you see me? We all want to be valued. We all want to be loved. 
But what greater love than this, that the God who says he loves us, he also demonstrated that love towards us and for us. While we were yet sinners, the Bible said that Jesus died. So, Lord, I understand going into the season, there's a lot of anxiety and worry and fear. Lord, I pray that we will press in, that whatever that blank is, whatever the cup may be, that we'll give it to you so that we can hope again. And I know for some of us, we've tried this and it seems as if we've been let down, we've been let down and we default to whatever that comfortable place is and was. But Lord, with the power of the gospel, help us to hope again afresh. To trust your word, to trust what you say, to trust your provision. It's amazing that in Genesis 3, after the fall, that new word in the vocabulary kicked in. For I'm afraid. Yes, we can say it's a clinical thing. Yes, we can say it's mental health. Yes, those things are real. But it's also a spiritual thing. So help us, Lord, to trust you, to depend on you in any and every circumstance. Because you are holy. And since you're holy, that means you're good. And since you're good, that means you never cease to be good. And since that's the case, your holiness demands honesty and makes it an obligation. Think that you rose from the grave. That we can trust a God that's alive, he's living, he knows your name, he knows your end from your beginning. Thank you that this morning, take a moment right now, just again, give it to him. And we're going to sing it just a little bit, but whatever it is, give it to him. Say, Lord, I'm giving you this. Maybe you have to just stand and open your hands up and say, Lord, I, I'm doing this. If that's you, come on, just stand with me. I'm standing now. I'm giving you whatever it is. I'm giving you this. Is there one? Say, I'm willing to give you this. I see you. I'm giving you this. Whatever this may be, I'm giving you this. Thank you that you have the power to raise the dead. And in so doing, you also have the power to work in our lives. We thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name.